This is Dr. Kurt Spindler from the Cleveland Clinic, and you're listening to another episode of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. It's March, and that means it's Brain Injury Awareness Month. It's easy for many of us to see the many patients who come into our practices or those that we evaluate on the sidelines and help guide them through their evaluation and recovery from their concussions. But as a pediatric sports physician who has a huge interest in concussions, I would be remiss to not acknowledge the significance of this month for those families who have unfortunately lost a child due to brain injury sustained in sports. Today on the podcast, I am honored to be joined by the mother of a young man who lost his life to a brain injury sustained in football, as well as a prominent school psychologist who partnered with this mom to turn the loss into a positive for many other young athletes who have suffered concussions over the almost last two decades. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Kelly Jantz, the mother of Jake Snakenberg, and Dr. Karen McAvoy, a school psychologist and author of REAP, a guide to assisting students with returning to learn following concussion, and co-founder of GetSchooledOnConcussions.com. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly and Karen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So I want to give a very brief introduction um, to Jake's story. Jake was a football player at Grandview High School in Colorado, and he sustained a concussion during a football game in the fall of 2004. One week after taking that initial hit to his head, he sustained a second hit to his head during that next game, resulting in a brain injury that caused his death on September 19th of 2004. Kelly, I'd love for you to tell us about Jake's story and those events that transpired back in 2004. Sure. Tell you what, um, gosh, it's so hard to believe that it's been almost 16 years ago. Jake was an amazing kid, kind of your all-American boy, and he really enjoyed life. His brother put it the best, telling us that Jake drank up life like it was coming from a fire hose. And he did that in every part of his life. And football was no different. On September 18th, he got up like at 6.15 in the morning. He would get up. He had friends over, his football buddies. And he got up before everybody else. And he always liked to kind of get ready for the games. And so he was up early and about, we got over to the field, got him dropped off. When I was walking up during the warm-ups of that game, I noticed that he took a pretty hard hit, like the kind that makes you shake your head. And he saw me walking up and kind of waved me off. And, you know, in, in these freshman football games, you're kind of all closer to the field and parents have probably more access than coaches prefer. But he kind of waved me off, but it, it certainly looked like he had gotten hit pretty hard. And it's interesting because the week before, Jake took a hit in the football game and they pulled him out of the game because he said his hands tingled. And when when Jake talked about it, he said that kind of scared him because he said, I couldn't feel my hands and it felt pretty funny. And he said he didn't really see stars or anything, but it, it definitely you know got his attention. And they had kept Jake out of a couple of practices because his neck was kind of sore and just making sure that he was, you know, was doing okay in terms of his range of motion and his neck and that. So he was really excited to be playing in this game that was coming up. And we never, we never thought much about it. You always hear about players tweaking their neck or something like that, or, but nothing that ever really made us 
truly think twice. The only thing that when I look back is when he said that it, it kind of scared him when it happened. But at that warm-up, when he took that hit and kind of was shaken off, you know, like that kind of, quote-unquote, rung his bell. When I look back, I think that that, you know, may have been the additional hit. So as the game went on, Jake went out and was lining up for a play. And he, he lined up, and he set, and then he fell forward. And you could tell something wasn't quite right. And they actually blew a whistle and a flag because it ended up being like an offsides type thing. And then it took Jake a little bit and he stood up and you could definitely tell something wasn't right. And he turned to come to the sideline and then he went down again and uh, Jake never got back up after that. And so, um, you know, all the coaches and trainers were on the field and they eventually called 911 and actually life flight flew into the field to get Jake and um, as a nurse, you know, and as a mom, as a mom, I'm trying to stay back. We kind of had a pact that, you know, you don't go crazy. You got to let these young boys, you know, kind of deal with things. But you could tell there was something really, really wrong. And when I went out, you know, he was not responsive. He had sort of some seizure-like activity. Um, he, and he wasn't moving. And so they... Life flight came and took him off to Swedish Hospital. And um, once we got to the hospital, the neurosurgeon came out and talked to us and then told me, he says, you know, um, he's in pretty serious condition. And I want to tell you that he's not likely to um, play football again. Thought, well, that's, that's going to be rough. That's going to be, you know, he's but we can get through that. There's all sorts of other sports. That's not a not an issue. But then Dr. McVicker followed that with if he survives. And I, I have to tell you, I never, ever, ever dreamed that I would, you know, I that was just unbelievable to me. Jake didn't survive. He um, likely had second impact syndrome. And, you know, as a result from that first hit, that week prior where he, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily thought he had a concussion, but obviously, you know, there was probably enough, enough trauma in that hit to have lasting, you know, damage that needed recovery time. And then to take subsequent hit, maybe even in practices that following week. And then that, what I witnessed was a pretty hard smack that day probably led to that and um, to an injury in his brain that he just couldn't recover from. When that had happened, was there any thought that week before? It doesn't sound like it from from what you describe things that there even was a concussion that week before. Like, were they? What, did he ever even get evaluated for that? I mean, I'm thinking back 2004. I had just finished up my fellowship at that time, and you know, we we were probably three years into having more kind of awareness towards concussions and concussion evaluations. But uh, it doesn't sound like that kind of triggered any sort of evaluations. Kind of that that first week. No, not at all. And my husband and I, I'm a nurse, my husband's a physician, and there was nothing that made me stop and think about concussion. And you always, I guess, there was always this kind of line of thought that, you know, kids were pretty tough and recover. 
And mm -hmm. there weren't any specific complaints from Jake. You know, he didn't really complain about headaches. His neck was kind of sore, and that's where we kind of figured, well, he, you know, he pinched a nerve or something. But concussion truly didn't cross my mind. And man, I look back over and over and over about what did we miss and what symptoms and what things did we miss throughout the week and what difference would have one more week away from football made. Yeah. I mean, that's where we, we talk a lot in our offices about, you know, this is for a lot of people, it can be an invisible injury because that many of the signs and symptoms of concussion may not be things that people are visibly seeing on the outside. We, we can't see a headache and We've come a long way with recognizing the injury and addressing it and evaluating it, but but I still see time and time again, unfortunately, where kids are not disclosing their symptoms. And, and some of that may be because they know what's going to happen next is that they probably are going to be kept out of their sports. But boy, I mean, it can be a very challenging injury if someone is not getting up and stumbling or they're not having anything that you know kind of raises a red flag to you as far as being an injury that you just can't see sometimes. And so that that always poses a big challenge for, for any of us, even as parents, as coaches, for us as physicians, athletic trainers on the sideline, as you, it, you know, it's one of those things that we just, we have to have a little better index of suspicion of it. And, and sometimes it, it's, it's a challenge because it doesn't always, it doesn't always produce that outward sign. Well, and exactly. And there's, there's always been this culture around football in particular of, of being tough and, you know, you, you get up, and you get back at it. I mean, that's been ingrained for years and years and years. And we talked about how even I've been watching football for years. My brother played football in high school. And actually, we talk about a time where he didn't remember a half of a football game. And you, you think about it and, you know, kids, they talk about, well, you get your bell rung. But you, you get back out and there was always that, again, mindset that, well, kids recover quickly. And then also sort of this badge of honor. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing, I'm pretty tough and I can do that. And then the intensity that coaches and parents and kids approach sports with, you know, sometimes it's, it's, well, it's too much. And we've reached this point where we need to give kids permission and that that isn't a sign of weakness that they've suffered an injury that um, especially one that can be you know life threatening and you know certainly can cause long term problems if not just life threatening and so i think that there's a whole culture change that we've been trying to make happen but i tell you what it's very very ingrained and so um Part of my response after Jake's injury, I had a lot of people thinking that I would go screaming for banning football. Like I mentioned, I grew up watching the sport. I mean, it was an important part. The kids, Jake loved football and he loved what, you know, he loved the competition. He loved the physical demands. He loved, you know, the camaraderie that's involved in it, the teamwork to just say, well, none of that matters. I couldn't do that. And yeah, we used to sit and watch Monday Night Football, me and Jake and his brother, and we'd sit on the couch and way back when, dating myself here, is that they used to have a thing called uh, You Make the Call. 
and you mm -hmm. know there would be there'd be this penalty or this play and you had to make the call and so the boys and I so I mean there was this whole it was a bonding thing as well mm -hmm. for our family and so it was a struggle. I have another mom who put it very, very well. Her, her son suffered and probably died from CTE. And she said, it's, it's a complicated relationship with football, you know? Mm -hmm. And on top of it, all of the sudden I was, I had concerns that, well, people would just say, well, she's just a crazy lady going to extremes because her son died of a freak accident. You know, it took me a really long time to figure out how to approach it and and just trying to make people aware and educate seemed the place to start. You're right about the culture part of that. I've had the pleasure of being able to work with several coaches at the high school level of high schools that I've been affiliated with of coaches who really prioritize athletes' health and being very protective of their athletes. And and I've been involved with some that that have not. And it's a challenge sometimes when you see that. And certainly, obviously, we're, we're wanting to have any athlete's health prioritized over the sake of a game. But it's also very easy to see how people can slip into the warrior mentality again, especially with a sport that lots of terms in the sport are warlike when we oh, when yeah. we talk about it. I'm curious, do you, do you watch football now? I do. I do. Um, not with the same. It's more, it's, it's not like, oh gosh, it's Sunday. Let's turn the TV on. The Broncos are on or not. It's, it, it's different. And it has been for years. It's, I, I struggle actually watching, you know, when I see some of those hits, I, it, um, it's very difficult for me to to see some of those awful hits that take place or see somebody. I mean, it just brings back so much. And be it so fascinating to me, knowing what we know that not that it's gonna stop, but how do we how how do we just make it as safe as possible for our kids and for, you know, even those professional players? The thing is is that it's a game. You know, mm -hmm. and certainly, certainly with kids Jake's age, even college level, it's when I look back with Jake and his teammates and things like that, I just think these are kids. These are mm -hmm. kids. And at, at what point do you, you, you have to draw some sort of a line. They, they have a future and it's not likely to be professional football, to be very honest, not that they right. can't excel in their sport. And, and shine during this time, but odds are that that's not going to be their future. And my gosh, to suffer some sort of injury that could totally impact, A, in Jake's case, I mean, there, there was no future, or to, to have some sort of impairments based on head injury that's going to take away their potential. I, I struggle with that. Now, we know that there's been obviously lots of positive that's come out of losing Jake I want you to talk about a little bit of that, about what stuff has happened over the years of how you've been an advocate for Jake and Jake's legacy. You know, I know that in, in Colorado, very similar to the Zachary Lystead law, and I've had the pleasure of meeting the Lysteads and Zach previously, that there's the Jake Snakenberg Act in Colorado and kind of maybe just talking about how those things came about and, and some other things. And certainly I'd love for you to talk about, and then also for Karen to jump in here too, about how you and Karen got involved in all this. Yeah, Karen, Karen has been just a phenomenal 
player in all of this. And gosh, in 2011, I remember getting a call from her saying that they wanted to, that, you know, they've been working on this legislation. And interestingly, it was Senate Bill 40. And um, Jake's number was 40. And so it's sort of like the stars had aligned. But Karen called me and said, well, you know, they they want to call Senate Bill 40 the Jake Snakenberg Concussion Act. And I thought that was a pretty phenomenal thing for me. And to think that Jake's legacy would be having this law in place that was going to help protect people was amazing. The process of getting the legislation passed, to me, you know, I thought this was going to be just a slam dunk and pretty easy. And who who could oppose something like this? But again, the mindsets and where people come from and thinking that, well, you just can't legislate everything and you shouldn't be legislating this. But it was a pretty fascinating process in trying to help people make sure that, you know, people understood that this wasn't a control thing. I mean, we're just strictly trying to go out there and provide all the means possible to help protect kids and to educate people who are involved in our kids' lives. You know, we're not with our children every second of the day. And you you put you put the care of your children in other people's hands all day long. And so to help provide these people who are with them and in sports, the coaches and the trainers, to provide them the tools that they need to help protect them. I just it was a fascinating thing to find out that not everybody was on board with legislating that. I had the opportunity to work with Karen who um you know, Karen, I think, probably had a whole lot more in the background to do with helping create the legislation. Karen, maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, where where that happened. It's been one of my great pleasures to to know Kelly, even how these circumstances came about. And so I was the school psychologist at Grandview High School when all of this happened back in 2004. And the ironic thing about it all was that probably early 2000s, I went to Pittsburgh to the impact company to train on how to do impact testing, baseline testing and post-concussion testing with high school students early in 2000 and was working with a colleague of mine from Denver Children's Hospital, Jeannie Dice Lewis, who unfortunately, sadly, has now passed, she received a grant from the Centers for Disease Control to do a three-year study on high school students using the baseline testing process with impact. And we finally got that passed and were trained and ready to go with our first group of baseline testing in the fall of 2004. And that was the same season where we lost Jake. So behind the scenes at the school, we had actually just baselined our first group of freshman football players, and Jake was in that group. And then two weeks later, this incident happened. So that, of course, really shook us. And we were wondering whether we should continue on with this three-year study. Of course, everything put on hold for a while. And as the psychologist in the school, the first job I had was just to deal with the, the loss uh, for our students. Many meetings with the football teams and many meetings with triaging kids who were coming in who knew Jake and just to get through all of that. 
that's what we focused on right after this happened with Jake. I remember my athletic trainer, who was an, an incredible guy, he really wanted some more objective data to be able to decide when a student has a concussion, when they should go back to play. And in 2004, it was based completely on those gradings, if you remember that, where we used to grade concussions one, two, and three, and based upon the grade, they went back in a certain amount of time rather than on symptoms. And he really wanted to be part of this study so that we could find a a more individualized way and a safer way to put kids back to play because we just didn't know very much in 2004. And this was one of the first studies that was being done using this test for high school students. So we had just baseline Jake and his group of freshman football players. And then the athletic trainer called me on that Saturday afternoon that Kelly had just told us about and said, this is serious, KMAC. This has happened. Um, And then, of course, we lost Jake the next day. And we spent some time in the school just trying to help the kids. And then a couple, you know, a couple of weeks after that, the principal at my school called us all in and said, how did this happen? This will never happen again on my watch. We need to analyze this and figure out what happened. So we looked at, you know, the health records, the clinic records, you know, all of that for that week that um, in between with Jake. And we decided to continue on with the study, but we decided that we were really going to use this as an opportunity to change the culture in this community that that Kelly lived in and I was working in. So we called all of the medical doctors around us and told them we were doing this testing and please don't just clear kids without letting us know we have data for you. Let's get releases of information. You know, we sent things out to parents saying, this is what we're doing. You're part of this. We'll share the data with you so we can all make decisions together. We trained the teachers to look for things in the classroom. And before you knew it, I had teachers walking kids down to my office in the middle of tests saying, I think something's wrong with this kiddo. We didn't know he had a concussion, but this morning he disclosed that he fell, you know, on the way to school or whatever. So in three years, we continued the study, and in 2007, we wrapped up the study, and we had changed the culture in this one school, and that's what really gave me some hope about pulling together the essential teams that eventually became REAP, and getting education out there, and having everybody working together could change how we take care of these kids, that we were all responsible for watching them and looking for what we needed to look for. And so in 2004, we wrapped up that study. And because of what I witnessed in my own school, in 2009, I sat down and wrote REAP, which we could talk about in a little bit. And REAP then became this community-based model that was built out of the necessity in this one school, but it became something that you could, be, that you could apply to other schools and other districts and other states And that started moving all the legislation forward. If you know the Zachary Leistet law, Mark, that you talked about was passed in 2009. And then in 2010, it was followed by Oregon's Max's law. And so right about 2011, we had this special interest group of people working with brain injury and concussion in the state that was getting together regularly that wanted to move forward with legislation. So they started crafting that. And I had the great pleasure. They asked me if I would call Kelly from knowing her a little bit from what had happened earlier with Jake, you know, the the creation of REAP, which I had talked to Kelly about as well, uh, because we donated all of that to Jake. So they said, can you call Kelly and see if she would be okay if we named this legislation after Jake? And of course she was, gracious as always. 
And Kelly, I don't know if you remember, you came downtown and you testified for the legislature and, and ended up getting this passed. And that became our law here in Colorado. Yeah, it was quite an experience to to be a part of all of that. And again, to to help personalize and put a face and to be be Jake's voice and to help people understand that this is real and that this has so much to offer in preventing, like I said, not just what happened to Jake was pretty rare, but gosh, these injuries that probably have gone, you know, unnoticed and untreated for so long to to bring it to the forefront so that again that kids were being protected and the whole community was going to be provided with an opportunity to you know to participate and be educated and understand what it was going to take to protect these kids it was um it was such an experience and again to have that be Jake's legacy means so much to me Looking back at my career thus far in pediatric sports medicine and as a pediatric resident physician back in 1998, and I was covering sidelines already at that point, just from my interest and passion in sports medicine. And at, you know, at that time, you know, Karen, you had brought up the grades one through three. The ruling was at that time, or the recommendations were at that time, that if someone's symptoms resolve within 15 minutes, we could allow that person to go back to play. And the number of kids either that didn't have symptoms, because we know that some kids have delayed onset of symptoms, no question, or kids that that either resolved them or quote unquote said they resolved them because they wanted to get back into play that that I allowed to go back to play their sports after sustaining their concussions. I, I shudder sometimes thinking about, oh my gosh, uh, that's that wasn't good. But you know, again, in the big picture of things, that's where our education has come from. And and as I always stress, you know, my how how I manage and deal with concussions now is completely different than what I did 20 years ago. But that's in testimony to what we've learned over the years. I'm hopeful that that the laws that have come out have had an influence. I get a little nervous sometimes. It seems in the last several years, at least just in my own personal experience, it seems like we're taking a step back a little bit. I'm seeing more kids, unfortunately, that seem to continue to play through their injuries. And I, I'm wondering how much around the country, when we talk about the education, if if we've started to have a little bit of concussion burnout, so to speak, and now now some people are uh, are kind of discounting or not necessarily going by what we've recommended over the last decade now, since most of the states, uh, or since all of the states, I should say, pass some form of this type of law. What what are each of your feelings about that? Are are you noticing any of that in your community? Yeah, I am definitely noticing that across the country when I speak to different schools and different states. But it's a hard thing to really put your finger on because nobody's really going to admit that too much. But when you talk to, you know, you talk to kids or you talk to coaches, talk to athletic trainers or medical centers, what what they're reporting is that, you know, there's the law that says you must do these things and you can do that to the letter of the law or you can do them to the spirit of the law. And what I'm finding is that there are ways that you can follow this legislation, but not really in the spirit of it. It's just sort of a I have to check this box or I can get around this this way. I hear a lot of stories about coaches who kind of subtly say to kids, this is kind of the way to get around this. And that's not the spirit of the law. The spirit was to really pull these kids out and to protect them until it was safe to put them back in, not to find loopholes. 
Karen and I have done a lot of speaking together to coaches, to physicians, to parents, to kids. I feel like Jake and I had our biggest impact was, was, was making it real. And to help people understand, there was a real young man behind this who died because of an injury. And, and perhaps this, this just didn't have to happen. And, and to tell a story and help people understand that, you know, we're not just, I, I got so very, very tired of hearing, you are just making this game worthless. The football is about, you know, the toughness of it and, and kind of the brutality of it. And my goodness, it's a, it's a primal sport. There's no question about that. But trying to bring it back home and let people know it's a game, they are kids, and there are consequences. And the consequences can be just devastating. And I feel like if, if I've had any, any impact, that's where it was, was to bring it to a reality and, and to be, you know, to be a mom and a mom who was a nurse who I would have thought I had the information I needed to protect my son and I didn't. And then to help people understand now they've got some information at their fingertips and they've got, there's data out there to support it. And don't let this happen to your son or daughter. If you had to go back to 2004 and if, you know, knowing what we know now, you know, 17 years later, almost, are are there things that you would hope that, you know, physicians or athletic trainers or even parents or coaches, if there was something that you could change about that? Obviously we can't, but if there was something you can change about those types of things and the approach to this, or even just what you see now, are there any things that you would like to kind of just talk to them about and, and just say, Hey, these are things that we still need to be taking seriously? It's just like you and Karen were just mentioning that it's kind of, again, is it is it the fatigue of all of the, of everything right now, but is it the fatigue of all sorts of different rules and things to follow? Do we, I, I would want to bring it back to making sure that it kind of stays in the forefront. I think we, maybe there's complacency. And if I were to go back in 2004 and know what I know now, boy, I would, I, I, Jake could have been throwing fits with me, but I would have been saying, no, you're not playing. And I, I would hope that coaches and physicians in that would be saying, nope, that's how it goes. You know, if I had, if I knew what I knew now, I would have been not very popular with my son, but you know, I would, I would want to make sure that people kept it in the forefront and, and understood that, it's just not, it's just not worth it. It's a game, the kids and that, that they, that everybody, physicians, parents, teachers, the community continued to take every opportunity they had to get the information they need to help keep kids safe and uh, live a long and happy life. Wow. Things have changed so much since that time. I look back and I think, wow, what were we doing? Making decisions based upon what they reported at the time of the injury. So yeah, I I would say it's come a long way, but in some ways, the, the direction that it's gone to is to more of an individualized approach, is to a more cautious approach, to keeping them out longer. And that is not necessarily the easiest kind of protocol to set up out there. 
in some ways, you know, especially with as many kids that are playing sports and various people interacting with them, it's hard to educate everyone. Unfortunately, the easiest thing to educate is to kind of put a policy in place and say, you know, if this, then that. And that is the easiest thing to follow. To individualize every case is very difficult. So it's a balance between, you know, individualizing every case and somehow still getting some basic information out there. And I think, unfortunately, that's been really hard to do. And so people either gravitate to one side or the other. They're either kind of sticking with, a, you know, if you have no more headaches, you can go right back to play, you know, just basic, easy things like that versus holding them out for way too long. And trying to find the happy medium is part of the problem with, with this injury because it's so complex. On the one hand, putting kids back to play happens pretty easily for many, many kids. But the one or two cases when it goes wrong, it goes very wrong and it goes wrong very quickly. So it's a really tough balance, you know, Mark, as a medical professional, to know which kid is most at risk and when is it safe to put them back. So I think that's what we're struggling with now as a field is to try to find that happy medium. Would you agree, Mark? Oh, 100%. I mean, and that's where we need to make sure that we are advocating that if your school is offering collision sports, contact sports, that we need to make sure that schools have athletic trainers. I, I think that's first and foremost in my mind, because we need to have someone above the level of a coach who is able to objectively assess somebody after their injury. And I think, you know, we need, we need to have those experienced people that are there and those that have that knowledge base and, and someone who doesn't have hopefully a vested interest in the outcome of the game, who's making decisions as far as letting kids play or not, because I think that's where it gets cloudy. No question. You know, I, I see that a lot, unfortunately, with families where I have, they come in and the parent may be a coach. And because their kid is, quote unquote, the best on the team, that kid will push through many more things than probably they should. And we lose some of that objectivity as far as whether or not this is the best thing for that kid to be doing and overall their health and, you know, ultimately in long term, their mental health, too, just from the messages that they get as far as participation in sports. Kelly, I, I know you are a, a transplant nurse, a transplant coordinator. I know that Jake benefited other people's lives in that he was an organ donor after this. I don't want to be remiss in allowing you this opportunity as someone who works in the transplant field to talk about the value of making sure that you are being an organ donor. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's so interesting because I, as I was telling you earlier, so I'm going on my 34th year as a transplant coordinator. And so our entire family, I mean, our children grew up around organ donation and all the positive things from that. They met people who were recipients or people who were waiting for transplants just out of, as, you know, out of events from my job and things like that. And so it was for us. And for Jake, Jake had made it clear that, golly, if he ever, you know, he would donate his organs. And so for us, that was one more positive that we could take out of this tragedy is knowing that he was going to help other people. There are so many people waiting. There's over 100,000 people waiting for organ transplants right now. And with a simple saying yes to donating your organs, you can save so many lives with organ donation and tissue donation and eye donation. I, I, it's been one of the more rewarding experiences I've had. And in knowing that Jake 
took it sort of full circle from that is that he he watched it, he grew up with it, and he contributed and saved lives even in his passing. And so such a difference that everyone can make by being an organ donor. And I've, I've been so proud of Jake on so many levels. And that's just one more, one more area that he has made me proud. It's important, I think, for all of us that we have those conversations as families you know, with your your spouse, your partner, even your kids. I mean, all three of my kids are are teenagers now. I have a 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 15-year-old, and we've all had that discussion, and they have all wholeheartedly been supportive of if, if anything tragic happened, that they would absolutely want to have any organs donated that could be. And it just, it starts with that discussion. And it's a difficult discussion for lots of people because obviously we're not thinking about, it, especially for our kids that their lives may be ended unexpectedly. But the positive impact and, and influence that that can have on someone else's life is is tremendous. And so I, I'm glad that you do what you do. I'm glad that even though, again, we, we lost Jake, that he did have the uh, benefit of being able to impact other people's lives in, in so many ways, not not just from the organ donation, but obviously with the work and the advocacy that both you and, and Karen have been involved with as far as keeping his his name out there and honoring his life. And so I, I would ask Kelly, is there are there any final comments for our listeners, many of whom are physicians and athletic trainers, as to what we can do to continue to help honor Jake's life? I would just say that, you know, to continue to keep this in the front, know that the importance of this and to hang on top of the latest in the education and helping educate others in the community as well. I mean, it's a big ask. I know just working in the medical field, I know the tremendous pressures that everybody is under. And so through the work that Karen has done and, and providing tools for for physicians and for trainers and for others in the community, use those. They're they're there to to help you and and to help your help your patients and to help prevent you know any further tragedies or any further problems that these kids might suffer. And I, I want to continue to do my job in trying to keep the awareness out there. And I again Mark I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to tell Jake's story and and to keep this out there and to remind people that this is real and it's rare what happened to Jake, but certainly it's not rare to my family. And every day you know, there's some reminder. And so for people to utilize what's available to them and take it seriously and help keep our kids safe, that's that's what I ask. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kelly, for taking some time today to tell us about Jake and Jake's story. I, I agree. It's it's something that we want to make sure that we are keeping in the forefront. And, and you're right. It, it is a rare problem. And I hear way too often in my office, it'll never happen to me or my kid or my family. But, but it could, it and that's why, exactly, and that's why we need to have awareness of this, and we can't downplay this, and we need to take these types of injuries seriously from all fronts, and 
And Karen, thank you for your passion in this field. It's It's been my honor to have both of you on the podcast today to tell us Jake's story. And I'm, I'm thankful to be a small part in helping letting his legacy endure. I feel some small connection there just from my benefit of knowing Karen and getting to know Karen over the, the years with working and advocating for kids and returning to learn. And, and I'm really thankful for having had this opportunity today to talk with you, Kelly, too. And let's all be aware of that potential for the devastating effects that brain injury and sport can have on individuals and families. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and I, I hope you will join us for future episodes of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.